Hello everyone, I'm your host Patrick, and welcome back to another episode of Not Adding Up. This week's episode is going to be a little different, as I am flying solo for the first time. That's right, I do not have a co-host this week, so you just gotta put up with me. My allergies clearly have not gotten much better. I still sound pretty congested, but you gotta do what you gotta do, and here we are recording. Getting a co-host each week is something... Is sometimes the hardest part of recording the podcast, and I waited until the last minute this week. But rest assured, I have been on top of my researching, and I have multiple cases that I am working on. Last week, I mentioned that I would be covering the story of a woman who disappeared from an exotic destination. However, this will not be the case this week. I have a very special co-host planned for that episode, and we are going to record this weekend, so in order to still get an episode out this week, I am here to give you the first ever Not Adding Up solo episode. I hope it isn't too different and you guys are still able to enjoy the case. But before we get into it, I do have a little reminder. I am working with Mary Ann from Crime Scene and Cupcakes to put together a very special episode for Rachel Pratt, a teen who vanished from her home in Garden City, Kansas, in 1995. She was last seen in her home surrounded by her family, so this case definitely is a confusing one. Clearly, since she is still missing, this case is not adding up. However, Mary Ann and I are going to discuss a few more things that make no sense to us, despite them being accepted as unnoteworthy during the time of her disappearance. So stay tuned. I'm very excited to put together this episode with Mary Ann. All right. Let's get in to this week's case. This week's case is Insidious Indianapolis. Two young women vanish into the night. So I was originally just going to have this case on one missing person, but while researching the case, I found an article that suggested a possible connection to another case. This is speculation, but not without backing. So of course, I had to look into this one. The article will be in my sources, and it is from Medium.com, which is a great source for looking into true crime happenings. While I'm not sure that I believe that there is any connection between the two cases, I think with both having so little coverage, a double case for this episode would be appropriate. The first case this week is that of Jessica Masker, a 24-year-old mother of two who disappeared from a gas station in East Washington, Indianapolis, on April 15th, 2013. There is really not much on Jessica's story online, and two of the main sources paint a slightly different picture, but I'm going to present you with both. Jessica had not completed high school due to having hearing issues. She was deaf in one of her ears, and this would eventually lead her to drop out. After dropping out, Jessica would support herself and her son as an exotic dancer, During this time, she also began struggling with drugs. Only one article was specific, and it was prescription drugs. It 
was also said that she had been in rehabilitation programs three times and had relapsed after each one. Drug addiction is a horrible thing and can do horrible things to an individual and their relationships. It is mentioned that at the time of her disappearance, she was trying to clean up her act and she wanted to obtain a GED. However, it is unclear of how much progress she was making in it. The Charlie Project reports that Jessica was involuntarily committed to a hospital after a possible drug overdose on the day before she disappeared. It also reports that Jessica had given birth to her second child two months prior. The baby was born prematurely and drug dependent. For this reason, it was kept at the hospital and Jessica would make frequent visits to see him. The Charlie Project also reports that a few days prior, her boyfriend had been arrested for battery in a domestic dispute. Jessica's family reports that the two had a lot of issues and he was physically abusive, even breaking bones on more than one occasion. And it was also known that he fed into her drug addiction. Another article doesn't mention the involuntary hospitalization due to the possible overdose and said the arrest that took place for the domestic, the domestic abuse was on April 14th. So that would be the day before she went missing. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me that one article is saying that the day before she had this possible drug overdose and she was admitted to the hospital and another article is saying that on that day she was is the day that the domestic abuse took place the charlie project is the one that mentions the overdose and they also mention domestic abuse incident but they just don't have it on the same day they said it was a few days prior so that's not really lining up on the sources and like i said there's not not very much for me to work with in this case. Typically, I have more to cross-reference. Either way, the fact that Jessica struggled with addiction makes this case no less important. It doesn't take anything away from the fact that she has a family who loves her and two little boys who will grow up wondering what happened to their mother. Where the inconsistencies stop is when Jessica goes to a cousin's house who lives in East Washington. It appears that she planned to spend the night here However, this is not how the evening went. Around 3 a.m., the two would have an argument, and she would leave the house on foot and go to a nearby gas station. While at the gas station, she would make a call to her brother and ask him if he could pick her up. He was already on his way to work at the time and told her to call their mother. It is known that she told him that, quote, two men came at her wrong, but there was no elaboration on this comment and it has been left to haunt friends and family. Rather than calling their mother, it is reported that she called her boyfriend. On the call with her boyfriend, she told him that she was at the gas station, but she was planning to walk down East Washington Street. After this, she was never seen or heard from again. This case doesn't even have any updates or developments. Police seem to think from day one that she ran away, but her family refuses to believe this. I would have to say calling your brother and saying something concerning like that before running away makes no sense unless you wanted to be followed. She legitimately asked him for a ride, like she told him where she was and asked him for a ride. Why would she be running away? Could she 
have known that he was going to work? Like, could she have known that she was gonna that he was gonna say no? I mean, that is a possibility. Because she might have known his schedule, but her boyfriend was questioned and denied any involvement with her disappearance. He was never made an official suspect. However, one source says that a detective that interviewed him believes that he knows more than he is leading on. Sadly, it does not seem like more is going to come from the boyfriend. It also does not seem like police investigated this very much. Which I wouldn't find hard to believe when you pair the fact that she had a history with drug use with the fact that she was believed to be a runaway. It is upsetting that the family has had to take the investigation into their own hands, but it certainly appears like they have done so. Her mother Sherry and stepfather Tim reportedly went out and kicked in the doors of trap houses looking for her, and that definitely takes some serious balls. They call the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department's Missing Persons Unit every week to see if they have any updates. Her family also gathers at a local park each year to hang up and pass out flyers. They are upset with the lack of media attention that her case has received. A quote from her sister. We don't understand what the difference between all of these young, all of these other young women that go missing in my sister's case. All of them are human. We haven't got the attention from media that we feel like we should. We need help. All we're asking for is just please help us. They are looking for anybody to spread the word on social media. If you want to look them up on Facebook and join some of their groups, that would be great. I'm sure they would love any attention and more eyes on the case. It is truly upsetting when you see how cases that involve people with drug issues are typically viewed by both police and media. This is not to say that there are not individuals working in both of these fields who care very much about the issue, because I know that there are. Jessica's case is just a very tragic one and I really wish there was more to report. However, this is where the case stands today, unsolved. Her family has started a GoFundMe to raise money for her case, and I will have this linked in my sources. I hope that they can find some answers. Jessica has the following tattoos. The word Lil, Lil, L-I-L, on the inside of her right wrist, the name Rob on her left wrist, the name Travis, on the back of her neck, a large flower on her lower back, and a vine on her right leg. The case is, I don't know, there's really not much to theorize on here, like what really happened to her. Um, I really think, obviously, she was taken. The fact that she was on the phone with her brother and said that two men came at her weird, that is very strange. And it's also strange that like, that wasn't really noted in the call with her boyfriend like it was just to her brother so it's interesting but then then again she could have been worried about her boyfriend getting jealous actually if it was a domestic abuse relationship maybe she wouldn't want to talk about any male attention but i don't know definitely a weird case and it's very upsetting that it hasn't gotten more coverage like there was like very very little on this case and the fact that there were like no updates, like no tips or anything, like was very upsetting. If you have any information on Jessica Masker, please reach out to the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department's Missing Persons Unit. I will have their number at the end of the episode. Almost eight years later, Kirsten Bruggerman would vanish 
while walking down a street that was kept under CCTV surveillance. And as I mentioned, at least one article points to a possible emphasis on possible connection between her case and Jessica's. I'm going to say this once more, that this is not an official connection, and I'm not saying I believe they are connected, because frankly, I don't. I do think both cases deserve more attention, and both cases do have some similarities. Kirsten was said to be an intelligent young woman, but she had some troubles in school. However, she graduated with honors. Kirsten was working at a local CC's at the time of her disappearance, which is like my favorite pizza restaurant. I don't care what anyone has to say. The one in my town closed about a year ago, and I haven't been the same. I've probably been a little skinnier, but not the same. Their mac and cheese and buffalo chicken pizza, like, unmatched. I will, I will die on that hill. So good. I will eat like four of them. <laughs> on January 1st, Kirsten worked the night shift, and she had plans to be picked up by her mother, as she lived with her parents and did not drive. She had lived with her parents for the last year. However, she would change the plans this evening and decide to go out with some of her friends at a local pub after getting off. This pub, Manly's Irish Mutt, <laughs> don't think I would go there, was located on the east side of Indianapolis. She was meeting with her on-again, off-again boyfriend of 10 years. I don't think I said her name. I mean, I don't think I said how old she was. I literally said she graduated high school with honors and then kind of just bip blap doo doo She was 26, so the fact that it was an off and on boyfriend of 10 years isn't like, that's not like impossible. They weren't dating when they were like five. She was a 26-year-old woman at this point. I'm sorry. This is where a co-host would probably be like, how old is she? And I'd be like, she was 26. Sorry, I forgot to say that. But I'm glad I caught it. Look at me go. She was meeting with her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Eddie, and some of their friends. The night went like any other that you would expect at a pub. They had some drinks, and for a while, they had a good time. It is noted that Kirsten struggled with her alcohol use, and her parents would try, would try to talk to her about this, but she was unreceptive. Her father, Rex, was especially concerned because he was a recovered alcoholic, and he knew not only the signs, but what it can do to an individual. I don't know what it is about Rex and Lisa. Lisa is her mother. Maybe the fact that Kirsten is their only child, but they really break my heart. They are very well-spoken and they both have backgrounds in criminal justice. And they accept their daughter in spite of her faults. They love her and they want her back. A quote from Lisa. She isn't an angel, but she is our angel. So back to the night at the pub. It would close around 12.15, and this is when they left. The next few hours are a little confusing. It is known that after leaving, Kirsten got into an argument with her friends, which ended in her and them leaving her alone in the parking lot. This is the last time anyone reports seeing Kirsten. Around midnight, her mother would wake up and have, and having heard nothing from her daughter, she would text, text her to ask her if she was okay. After getting no response to her text, she would call, and it went straight to voicemail. She would lay in bed and call every 10 minutes until morning, and she knew something was very wrong. The next morning, she reached out to Eddie. She wasn't sure if they had been together because 
Kirsten was pretty secretive about her friends, but he would tell her that they had been, and they had an argument, and that they had left her. It was kind of confusing at this point. They didn't really understand, but they did know that she was with Eddie. Eddie would go out and retrace their steps, looking for her, and by 11.40, he contacted Rex and Lisa to tell them that he didn't find anything. Lisa would call Cece's later that day and discover that Kirsten was not was a no-call, no-show, something that was very out of character. Her family's fears worsen. They don't believe she would just up and leave her life behind, especially when she left her dog behind, who she adored. She was a huge animal person, and her dog was said to be one of her best friends. I just realized that I did something again that I probably wouldn't have done if I had a co-host. But I said almost, I said eight years later. So this, her shift was January 1st, 2021. And on January 3rd, 2021, Lisa would make an official missing persons report. Something that made the situation all too real. They are told that a detective would be in touch with them the following day. And they were a little upset about the lost time. On January 4th, they would go back to the bar and, and search the surrounding area for any clues as to where Kirsten was. When they were on their way back to their car after this search, they saw a man on, their bike, on a bike coming their way. It was Eddie who was there to do the same thing. So at this point, they would talk in person for the first time about the incident, and they got a better understanding of the story. But there was still, there was still a lot that didn't make sense. So, when the detective began working on the case, they spoke to all of her friends who were with her that night, but all of them were cleared of suspicion. But the detective said a few things stood out to her when she was looking into this case, and the first one was that her phone had been turned off, That w and it was turned off pretty early in the night, because her mom woke up and started calling her, and it went straight to voicemail. So why would you turn off your phone if you're trying to get home, if you're walking home? I just feel like most people wouldn't do that. As the detective began asking around for videos, they were able to obtain three. One of them showed the argument taking place after they left the bar. After they drove off, she was not approached by anyone and she didn't get into the car with anyone. She just walked off alone. The next video is of her walking through a YMCA parking lot along the fence line. The time is right around 2 a.m and then something chilling happens. For some reason, police have accepted this reason to be a technical malfunction. The CCTV that was capturing Kirsten's walk cut off. It would remain off until 2.30 a.m. and when it came back on, she was nowhere to be seen. By the direction she was walking, detectives determined that she would have had to climb a fence to continue in the direction she was headed or circle back. And if she was trying to get home, she was not going the right way. So they really had no clue where she was going. It was speculated that she could have possibly been trying to get to Eddie's apartment, who lived nearby. However, she was still not walking in the right direction, if that was the case. The detective visits the last known location, and they notice a lot of activity in the nearby apartment complex. They would canvass the area and go door to door asking if anybody knew anything. However, they got little abuse. Not that they expected much, as they knew the high, the high crime rate in the area 
caused a lack of trust for police. With no proof of foul play, there's little more that police could do. On January 16th, there was a search organized around the area she went missing and sadly it found nothing. As weeks would pass and the police found no new leads, the family turned to a private investigator for help. The private investigator would review the CCTV videos and a black SUV sticks out to the investigator as it becomes as it comes out of the nearby apartment complex, the same one that was canvassed by police. It would drive by a few times following the cameras coming back on and was driving and stopping in kind of a suspicious manner. So they looked a little further into this. And when an FBI agent was shown the video, they instantly knew who owned the vehicle which had been involved in a homicide that took place in those apartments. The SUV, the SUV was identified, submitted to the crime lab, and came back negative for any DNA connection to Kirsten. In September, the family held a vigil to try to raise awareness and bring out any new tips. While some leads came from this, they did not pan out to anything. In March of 2022, a tip was called in from Franklin, Indiana, about a half hour from Indianapolis, of a possible sighting of Kirsten with another man at a bar. CCTV video was obtained and the quality was good. However, they didn't get a direct look at her, but even her parents said it did look a lot like her. The woman in the video was acting rather strange. She seemed kind of emotionless and almost moved around robotically. However, by May of last year, it was confirmed not to be her. This was the most recent development in the case. Her parents, Lisa and Rex, while initially suspicious of Eddie, have come out and said that they do not believe he had anything to do with, his, with her disappearance. I am 99% sure that he had nothing to do with Kirsten's disappearance, are Rex's own words. Moving on from case coverage and getting into my thoughts a little bit. Okay, so the cameras... That's like super, super suspicious to me. Was this camera system known to be kind of faulty? Did it happen multiple times? Is this the first time it's happened? It is assumably a YMCA's camera and they had no comment in any of the articles. So conspiracy time. If someone at the YMCA had anything to do with it, this would make sense. Clearly I am not an investigator and I am very much so speculating. But hear me out. Gyms provide a space for predators and stalkers to watch someone from afar and possibly never be noticed. I go to the gym every day and I see the same people there every day. Most people who go to the gym do so regularly at the same time of the day. And it would be very easy to learn someone's schedule, what car they drive, etc. Now you may be wondering why I'm talking about this when there are, real, when there are no real connections to the YMCA. But maybe a potential, a potential predator was working there and had access to the cameras and had something to do with her disappearance. Far-fetched, I know. But since it is just me this week, I thought I would throw in one of my little conspiracy theories. Because, like, I don't know, like, the fucking camera, that, uh, I, I guess we really wouldn't have that much from it. Like, we'd only have her followed for so much longer but still 
The fact that it cuts out while she's in frame is just chilling. Like, it's kind of like the Jennifer Kessie case where the suspect was like perfectly blocked out by the fence. But that was just a terrible stroke of luck and this is something different in my eyes. This is like too convenient to be just technical. I wish I could at least know if the cameras were known to mess up frequently or not. Like, are they like nice cameras? Do they do this a lot? So what about the link? The article points out that they were eight years apart, which could have been someone serving a prison sentence or possibly moving states and returning. The locations that Jessica and Kirsten were last seen are a 10 minute drive from one another. They both had a fight and left on foot into the night. Obviously, this isn't something that the perpetrator could have known with Jessica because the fight probably happened in her cousin's house, but just an eerie connection. If you have any information on either Jessica Masker or Kirsten Bruggerman, please contact the IMPD Missing Persons Unit at 317-327-6160. That is 317-327-6160. Both of these stories have so little information to work with, so if you know absolutely anything that is solid information, please reach out. The detective in Kirsten's case said that they are at the point where they have to rely on new tips or information in order to take the case forward, as they have exhausted all of their leads. It seems like Jessica's case was never taken very seriously by police, which is truly heartbreaking. This young woman may have struggled with drugs, but she was still an important part of her family who loved her very much. Everybody makes mistakes, and you never know what someone has dealt with throughout their life. Drug addiction is a mental illness, not a moral failing. Jessica and Kirsten deserve justice, and the justice system needs everyone's help. As always... I hope their families can obtain some answers in the coming years and my heart goes out to them. So that is, that is all I have. That's all that is really out there for this week's case, which was insidious Indianapolis, two young women, Jessica Masker and Kirsten Bergerman vanish into the night. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed my first ever solo episode and i hope it wasn't too weird it's kind of weird to record definitely (laughs) like i feel it's weird to not have somebody to banter with but i don't think it should be too 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 short since i'm covering two cases this week like it would probably have been under 20 minutes if it was just one of these cases i would love to hear what you think about the cases this week and i would love to hear how you felt about the first solo episode. This might be something I do more often as finding a co-host, as I said, is not always the easiest thing for me to do and line up my schedule with them. You can let me know by getting in touch with me on my socials. My main one is Instagram, that is at podcast NAU. And I don't know, I, I shouldn't really say main TikTok is pretty big too. I post a lot on there. I post every case I do. Um, You can look up Not Adding Up on TikTok or you can look it up on Facebook and I post my weekly case episode updates there as well. And my cases, if you didn't know, they come out on Saturdays. Saturdays. 
so that is when you should be tuning in each week to not adding up thank you patrick for coming on this week's episode oh my gosh thanks i feel so appreciated <sighs> yeah that was kind of cringe but i normally do that so i mean I, I feel like i should give myself a little pat on the back i just got through 40 minutes of talking to myself it's probably not, definitely not going to be 40 minutes when i edit it but yeah I hope everybody is having a great morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever it is you are listening to this, and I hope you tune in again next Saturday for another case that just does not add up.